the word of the Lord says this, Jacob lived in the land of his fathers, sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bila and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good to be in God's house with you this morning. I thought I would spare Jared to have to read all those names in chapter uh, 36. Uh, I will cover chapter 36 just uh, momentarily and briefly, but the bulk of our lesson this morning, our passage, will be from Genesis chapter 37. Just one quick announcement. Um, as we head into next week, let's be preparing our hearts as we will take the Lord's Supper for the first time since uh, March. And so... Let's even now, God tells us in His Word that we should come to God's table with a, with a holy heart. And so, whatever it is in our lives this morning that may prevent you from coming to the Lord's table with a holy heart, that, that's a pure heart, uh, let us now, even this morning and this week, begin to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Let me pray for us this morning, and then we'll dive into Genesis chapter 36 and 37. Let me pray. God, You are faithful to us. I'm grateful for that. Your mercies are new every morning. We've experienced that already this morning. Just by those that are in this room and those that are listening, You gave us breath that gives us life. So I pray for us this morning, God, that we'd come and we'd come with expectations, expectations that You would give to us exactly what we need from Your Holy Word. And that Your Word would do what only Your Word can do, and that's uh, divide those places in our lives and eradicate those places in our lives that cause us not to be holy as you called us to be holy. And I pray as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, as we begin the life of Joseph, that you would begin to pull things out of your word and plant them into our hearts, and that we would continue to grow in our maturity in you. Again, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit that is He who enables us to see your word clearly and we are grateful for your son Jesus who died on the cross for us. It gives us life and life to the full. 
to go with us now as we enter into your word and prepare our hearts and then let us receive from your word. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Just as a way of introduction uh, to this passage, to these two long passages, I want to talk uh, just momentarily about chapter 36. 36 is the genealogy of Esau. That is the brother of uh, Jacob. Remember, Jacob and Esau were at odds. They were at odds their whole life because of the blessing that God had spoken over his, their mother, Rebekah, when he said to her, hey, the younger will serve the older. What we know through the Bible, what we know through Genesis, it, it, God in His sovereignty and His goodness has chosen people to carry the seed of the promise that would be Christ all the way to the fulfillment in Matthew chapter 1. And so God laid that out in Genesis chapter 3. And we've seen God's faithfulness to His promise that there would be a child that would come and bring redemption and hope and restoration to the world. Well, the other side of that promise was this, that there would be people that God did not choose, that God had a line that He would choose, and that these other men, God did not choose to bring that seed to them. And yet, we, we see over and over again, and that's what we see in this passage, that God is faithful to His promise. Amen? Uh, we don't like always thinking about that God chose a path for us, but He did. We see that clearly here in Genesis. We've seen it clearly, that God set out before the foundations of the world that He had a path that He would bring Christ Jesus to redeem mankind. And we, we know this in three ways through reading the book of Genesis. The first is that there was a promise given to Rebekah about these two. The second is this, that Jacob was blessed and chosen by God. And we've seen this throughout Scripture. That, that though there is a structure that's been put in place, the, the, the bulk of our study has always been on who? The promise. We've seen that throughout Genesis, that there's few verses given to the men outside of the promise. We see that again here in Genesis chapter 36, the descendants of Esau. There's only one chapter in the Bible dedicated to his descendants. But what we'll see now is the descendant of Joseph of Jacob to be Joseph. And we see the bulk of the text. The next 13 chapters are dedicated to this one man. One writer said this, we, we know this to be true, that God has blessed both men, both Jacob and Esau, that God will see this, that God will bless both uh, Joseph and his brothers. But this is what the writer says, even in the choosing, there is a pool of God's blessing. That's, there's a pool of God's blessing for, for the non-chosen blessing, and the river flows through the blessing. So we, we see that there's this pool that God blesses the, the non-chosen uh, seed, but we see the river that flows through the blessing. On and on, the, the blessing of the Lord flows from where? Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, now into Joseph, into Judah, into Levi. The, the blessing will continue to flow all the way to Christ Jesus. But now let's move on to chapter 37. We enter into the tenth and final section of the book of Genesis. Thirteen chapters remain. If you remember months and months ago, I said that the book of Genesis is divided into ten major sections. Those ten major sections are in the lineage or the line of Christ and where that comes from. The 
descendants. You'll see over and over again. We see that here in the text. Here is the tenth and final place of that verse two. It says, these are the generations of Jacob. And now we'll spend the bulk of our time, the next 13, 14 weeks, as we come to the end of Genesis on this one man. There's so much promise in this one man of Joseph, and I'll get to that at the very end. But this is a setup for where we're ahead. The Bible, we will not head into Exodus. One day I will preach the entire book of Exodus. I will not go there next. But this, this begins to prepare the reader's heart for the Exodus story. Remember, the Exodus story is God's chosen people, where? Leaving Egypt. Well, we have to ask ourselves, how did God's chosen people ever get to Egypt? It starts here in this chapter. If you've ever wondered how did God's people get to Egypt, it was because of this one man. And this one man being Jacob, but comes through us through Joseph and how God's going to use Joseph to bring the Israelites into Egypt. It was a promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 15. Remember, God had promised that the Israelites would spend 400 years in slavery. That, that is not a mystery to any of us. It, it's, this is the verse, Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, this was before God ever changed Abraham's name, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. Remember, that's not the promised land, but they will leave the promised land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. That's Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. And so there's, there's this promise from God that God's holy people would be in slavery for 400 years. Often we want to talk about the promises of God and how they're good. Well, this is a promise that's from God that doesn't seem too bright. 400 years of slavery. And so I want to talk to us this morning. How is it that God's people went from the chosen land and then ended up in a 400-year slavery. I believe there's four things. There's three things we see from this text. The three things that we'll look at this morning are this. It started with hatred. And it went on to being a place of harm. And then it went on to a place of hypocrisy. So let's look at how this whole journey of God's chosen people got to Egypt and how it started with hatred. Let's look at verses 2 through 11. It says this, Joseph, remember Joseph was the oldest son of Rachel, the beloved wife. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. That's his half-brothers. And he's with, the, the boy was with the sons of the two concubines and his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report back to his father about these two men. It started with hatred. Remember that, and we'll see again in this story, that, that Joseph was loved child. He was the favorite. And we talked last week about Joseph plays into favoritism and put all this favoritism on to Joseph. And that began to bring this discord amongst the brothers. And so now there's this moment in time where Joseph goes out and brings a report back to his father about his other brothers. An evil report, if you will. When we read that word and we read that text, it just seems like he comes back with a report. Uh, the way we would say it would be this. He brought back a tattletale. Now, he, he brought back the truth, but it was in the form of being a tattletale. If you have children, you know this to be true. 
There's often times in our house that Tennyson or Cedar will come to mom and dad and they will tell on one another. Now it's the truth, but it's done in such a way that it's like, now there's got to be some lies in that. Well, that's what the, the writer Moses is capturing here, that there's this moment that there's this report that's being brought back to Joseph, from Joseph to Jacob in the form of a tattletale. Remember, these were wicked men. Remember in two, last week when we talked about what these men had done, they they murdered hundreds of people and then they robbed them. They, they plundered their land. So they, these are wicked people. So no doubt that Joseph had a bad report to bring back to their dad. They were not a nice, they were not nice brothers. So we see the first form of hatred came through that report. They began to hate Joseph because of the report. Then it says this. The next thing that we see is the robe, the favoritism that Jacob had given to Joseph, his favorite son, a robe, a beautiful robe, a robe of many colors, as we would read in the, the New King James. It was a vibrant robe. It was a robe that when he showed up in the room, everyone would take notice. Now, we can read that and think, oh, it's just a pretty robe. No, what that robe meant in that culture was, hey, now Joseph not the chosen son, the first son, the firstborn, but this one, many, many sons later, would be the, the son that carried the inheritance. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're a brother and you see the younger brother now getting all the inheritance, what is that going to invoke in you? Anger. So now, because of Jacob's favoritism, he pours gasoline on the fire by giving young Joseph this beautiful, beautiful robe. That robe is going to come back and haunt him in a few verses. Just a few verses. That will bring him great harm. Now the third thing is this, in their hatred and how it grew from a report to the robe. Now, Joseph didn't make things easy on himself. Like this is the moment in time like, Joseph, man, just... Zip it, bro. Don't talk. Just stop talking. But all of a sudden, he's sleeping and these dreams come to him. Two separate dreams. The, the first dream is this. That there's going to be these stalks of grain that, that are going to rise up out of the ground. And all 11 stalks are going to bow down to this one. This one grain in the middle, all 11 other stalks will bow down to him. We see this has two meaningful messages. The first is obvious. The first is that Joseph was going to be the brother that the other brothers would bow down, that yes, he would be the one that they would serve. But it also plays into the reason that the brothers would need to come and bow down to him. Remember, if you know the story, in, in a few chapters, there's a great famine that breaks out in the land. And the famine is so severe that the brothers and Jacob are starving. And so Jacob sends those 11 brothers, well, 10 brothers, to Egypt to get some what? Grain to bring back. And so it's a twofold dream. It's, it's God saying to the brothers through Joseph, hey, there's going to be a moment. You will need to bow down because this brother of yours will come through for you to make you survive. Well, they're livid about that dream. They, they, they say to him, hey, is it because 
you really think that you're going to reign over us and that we're going to serve you? They understood the dream. I would imagine there was some moments in that time as he was saying to the brothers in his voice and their voice back that he could see the hatred growing for him. And then he has another dream. It's like, man, you struck out the first time. Just put the bat down, go back to the dugout, remain humble, remain quiet. But that's not Joseph's response. He has another dream. He told it to his brothers. But this time the dream added his mother and his father, so much so that it brought a great rebuke from his father. Basically, the father said to him, stop talking. What you are saying is ridiculous. But there's this one verse in verse 11 that it says this, and his brothers were jealous of him. Circle this in your Bible. But his father kept the saying in mind. There's another place in the Bible, it's in Matthew, where we hear the same words. Remember, it's where the angels showed up to Mary and told all these things to Mary. And the words were said. And she kept this in her mind. She treasures the sayings. So here we see that Jacob is treasuring this moment. Though he rebukes him, he stores it away as a reminder of what is going to come of this dream. Remember, Jacob would have known a lot about dreams. God had visited Jacob in his dreams. And every time that God visited Jacob in his dreams, the dreams always what? Came true. So it would be no surprise to Jacob that Joseph would have had a dream and he would have known in his heart through his own experience with God that, wait a second, I may not like what the dream has to say, but this dream is going to come true and he treasures it in his heart. Though it enrages the brothers. The brothers become even more angry and even more resentful, even more hateful to Joseph. We pick that up in the next chapter, or the next few verses. So he leaves, he tells the dream, and now it says this in verse 12, and now the brothers went to pasture with their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, you are not your brothers pasturing the flocks in Shechem? Come, and I'll send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So here's this moment. That, that Jacob is sending young Joseph out into the field to check on the older brothers. So somehow in the mix, Jacob had missed the disdain for, Jake, for Joseph. And Joseph had missed it. There, there's no hesitation from Joseph when his father says, I need you to go check on your brothers. Now why would Jacob send these brothers, this boy, to check on the brothers? Where does he send them? He sends them back to Shechem. Remember what happened in Shechem. Shechem is the place that what? These ten brothers made a massacre of the place. And so Jacob, being nervous and scared for his boys and his boys' life, he sends the younger brother to go check on them to make sure their welfare is okay, to leave the safety of their father. And we see this journey. There's this interchange between Joseph and this man that he said they're not here in Shechem. They've gone even further, another 15 miles they've gone to find a better place of pasture. And then it says this. Joseph went 
after his brothers and found him in Dothan. Dothan's 15 miles from where Jacob had thought they'd be. Now we see the great harm, and we see harm in three ways in these few verses. And they saw him from afar. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. How did they know it was young Joseph coming from afar? The robe. The robe was a dead giveaway. That, that he saw them from afar. That means a long distance off. Well, if you know anything about attire in that culture, the, the attire would have blended in with the desert. Well, here comes this bright, bright, beautiful robe. And they say to one another, here comes the dreamer. It's words of mockery. They're mocking their their young brother as he comes to him. So three places of harm we see in the text. The first is what? They decide to murder him. You talk about revenge. You talk about resentment. They don't start with, hey, let's beat him up. Hey, let's mess with him a little bit. Their heart are so prone to anger that they desire to murder him. Now come, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. Let's disregard him. Let's get rid of him. Two things we see. They not only want to kill him, but they want to what also kill the dreams of young Joseph. They did not want to ever succumb to Joseph being their ruler. So they were trying to both kill him and the dreams. But then we see in verse 21, but when Reuben, the oldest brother, heard of it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into a pit. We're the wilderness, into this wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him. He said this, that he might come back and rescue him. The next thing, it kind of digresses from murder to harm or self-harm. The thought is he's trying to convince, Reuben's trying to convince the brothers, hey, let's not take his blood onto our hands. Let's let nature just take its course. Let's throw him into a pit. Let him starve to death. Let animals get to him. Let him die that way. Excuse me, but Reuben had this other plan to come back and rescue him. Now you may wonder, why would Reuben do this? Why why would Reuben, the older brother who had just hated him so profusely, wanted to rescue him? Many scholars believe it's twofold, which I believe as well. The first one was this. Remember that who is the oldest? Reuben. So in that culture, the oldest brother was responsible when they were away from from their father, was responsible for all the siblings. So he knew if anything happened to one of these siblings, who would it Count, who would it come against? Reuben. The, the next one is more selfish, I believe. Remember that Reuben had what? Two chapters ago. Slept with his father's concubine. So he's out of already out of good graces with his father. His father was already angry with him. So now he devises his plan. If I can rescue the favorite son, bring the favorite son back to the father, then I'll be back in good graces. This was self-preservation. It wasn't out of the kindness of his heart to save his brother. 
Well, then, moving on, the last place of harm, where they were going to gain a profit from him. They were going to sell him, it says. It says this, said, let us not shed blood that we might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, this is verse 23, they stripped him of his robe and the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And look at the cruelty of their heart. After they did all that, they had stripped him naked. If we, we think of a robe, like an overcoat. No, this was a robe that would cover all of him. It was his garment. It was what he would use to protect himself. So they stripped him naked. Note that in your Bible. Because that's going to come to remind us of someone else that was stripped naked from his brothers. So they threw him into a pit. And look at the cruelty of their heart. And then they sat down and ate like nothing had happened. They just tried to kill their brother. And now they sit and eat a meal together. And looking up, they saw a caravan of the Ishmaelites with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh. Highlight those three in your Bible. Those are going to come back to show us. Because what happens, and what does Joseph send back with his brothers to his father in chapter, I believe it's 49. The very thing that he is sold for, he now sends back with them years later as a reminder. I'll never forget what you did. I've reminded what you sold me for. Now they sold him for shekels, but in those 20 shekels, they gave him these things. And so they made a profit off of him. This was no different in their culture than murdering someone. It had the same ramification. It had the same punishment. The, the, the crime for murder was death itself. The, the crime for Selling people outside of slavery that were become slaves was murder. You'll see that in Leviticus. So now here they are. They sold their brother. And the last place that we see how harm comes to the Israelites of 400 years of bondage was first through th this place of hatred. Then it's through harm. And the last place is hypocrisy. They sell the brother. He's in the caravan headed to Egypt. And then the bro brothers decided what? To, to take the robe of many colors and dip it into the blood of a goat to make it look like an animal had killed their brother. So at some point, Reuben had wandered off and wasn't in the exchange of selling young Joseph to these men. It says this in verse 29. When Reuben returned to the pit, he saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped it into the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This was found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. This place of dishonesty, hypocrisy. They knew exactly whose robe it was. They, there's the ones that did it. And they present this robe of many colors with this blood all over it. And we see Jacob's response. And he identified it. He said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without, without a doubt 
torn into pieces. So they deceived his father with goat's blood on his robe. Remember how Jacob had deceived his father with goat's blood and goat's fur on his hand. The very thing that he had done to his father was done to him. The saying is this, what goes around comes around. And here Jacob, the great deceiver, was deceived by the very thing he had done to his father years and years and years ago. Not only that, place of hypocrisy and trickery. It says this, that then he begins to mourn for his son for many days. We'll know that those many days are all the way until the moment that he sees his son again in the palace. He will mourn every day for the rest of his life that his son had been killed. Could you imagine the pressure of his children seeing their father weep every day knowing what the truth was? Knowing that his brother had not been killed by animals and yet they continue to lie for the rest of their lives and trick their father. In so much doing so, it says this, and all the sons and all the daughters rose up to comfort him, meaning that they also grieved with him. They were not grieving. They were rejoicing internally that their, their brother that was the favorite was destroyed. But he would not be comforted. He refused to be comforted. It says, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son and mourn. Thus the father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites, the Ishmaelites, sold him to Egypt, to Potiphar, the official of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Remember, God is behind the scenes, orchestrating a way to make his promise come to fruition that his people would serve for 400 years in slavery. And it started with hatred. So what's the application for us this morning in the text? We will see this. That in the story, it reminds us over and over again. Then even when God isn't around, he's around. God is always in our suffering. Young Joseph had to suffer. But it was because of God's providence, God's plan to redeem the world. Let's never mistake when God doesn't feel near, he's nearer than we will ever know. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to what? His purpose. All things work together for the glory of God because God has a purpose. And so whatever it is that you're going through right now, whatever suffering that you're going through, and you don't fear the nearness of God, Hold on to the promise that God is closer than you know. And it may be, we'll see now, years go by before we ever see how God's hand was strategically placing Joseph in this place to bring redemption to the world. But remember what I said just a few moments ago to highlight a few things. We see Christ in this passage over and over and over again. Joseph 
reminds us of Christ. Or we could say it this way. Christ is the greater Joseph. I'm going to highlight several things in this passage. It says this. This is what one writer says. Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him. So accordingly, in Matthew, Jesus' brothers, the chief priests and the elders, what? They arrested Jesus by stealth and killed him. The same that happened to Joseph happened to Jesus. The next is this. The same way that Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus was sold by his own brother, Judas, for what? 30 pieces of silver. It doesn't stop there. Joseph, the brothers, handed him over to the Gentiles, the unbeliever. So Jesus' brothers handed him over to Pontius Pilate, a Gentile. It says this in the text. We see this in the text. That when Joseph was sold into slavery, he opened not his mouth. He said nothing against his brothers. The same is true for Jesus. As Joseph suffered in silence, so Christ suffered in silence. But here's what we see. God used these evil deeds of Joseph's brothers to save his people. Without Joseph being in Egypt and being in a place that, that could give all the grain he needed to his family, his brothers would have died. But God strategically placed him where? At the next of Pharaoh, the next in line. And Pharaoh said to him, you'll see this in chapter 49 and 50. Hey, whatever you decide to do with the grain, give it away as free as possible. So Joseph, unbeknownst to his brothers, were sent by his brothers to end up saving his brothers. The same is true for Christ Jesus. The same way that God used evil deeds of the, the brothers of Joseph, God would use evil deeds of Jesus' brothers to what? Save his people. So we see so many parallels between Joseph and Jesus. My prayer for us this morning is this. Do you see that you are just like Joseph's brothers? You are not Joseph. You are Joseph's brothers. And there's a day that comes that you need to be redeemed and set free. And you need a Joseph. But you need a greater Joseph, Christ. Jesus, to save you and reconcile you back to God. If you do not know Christ Jesus today, that is you who I'm talking to. You need Christ Jesus to save you from your sin. But if you're a believer today, my plea to you is this. Know without a shadow of doubt that God is in the midst of your circumstance to bring great glory to himself and good to you. He is closer than you know. Let me pray. God, I'm grateful uh, as a reminder to myself that you, Jesus, are the greater Joseph. That you did come and you were beaten and killed, inspired against, sold, handed over to wicked men, and you remained silent in the whole process because you knew your Father had a great plan of redemption and salvation. 
His desire was to use you, Lord Jesus, to redeem wicked sinners like myself. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for your kindness and goodness to me. And your mercies, you sought me when a stranger. Wandering from the fold of God, you redeemed me and set me free. God, I pray that would be true for anyone that does not know you this morning. That as they wander, you would go and seek them. And they'd be found by you and they'd turn to you. Repent and be grateful that they have a great Redeemer. Continue, Lord Jesus, to lead us and guide us and bring healing. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Please rise for the benediction this morning. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Grace and peace to you. Remember that on Wednesday night we do have a prayer service uh, here at 6 o'clock. And then again next Sunday morning we will uh, take the Lord's Supper today. Grace and peace to you.